0: come on baby don't you wanna go sweet home chicago the chicago hog mollies the gm is jeff ratcliffe and that is what's coming up right now on the hofl podcast talking everything about the team and the guy behind them chicago's first ever team in the hall of fantasy league you can stake the chicago hog mollies or any team in the Hall of Fantasy League at the HOFL.com. We're, we're getting near the end of these GM podcasts as we continue to introduce you to the individuals who will be running the first batch of teams here in the Hall of Fantasy League. This is Jeff Ratcliffe, the GM of the Chicago Hog Mollies. We are getting the deep dish ready, or I, I should say the the sausage or the... the uh, Pepperoni deep dish pizza ready. The Chicago Hog Mollies, Jeff Ratcliffe is the GM in the inaugural season, and we'll go right into. You're a Philly guy. You're going to be managing a Chicago team. Now, how's your allegiance to Chicago right now?
1: Well, it's still pretty strong. I, I was out in Chicago a couple of different times. Fortunately, over the last decade, the first time I went out there though was in 2013. It was actually for an industry conference. And, um, you know, as somebody who knows Philadelphia quite well, I I felt a a brotherhood with Chicago just from the way the city looked, right? Uh, It it felt almost like Philadelphia, but there was one notable difference. The people were nice. I I I was blown away by it. I'm like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be nice to me. You're supposed to treat me like I'm an a-hole, and that's how we do in Philadelphia. So, no, shout out to the Chicago people. Uh, I really well-received there and had a great time both times I've been in Chicago. Last time I was there was the last time they had the NFL draft. And in Grant Park, they put on a, a heck of an event that now we see has continued to grow and grow, and it was awesome to see it in Cleveland this year.
0: Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, neither team. Uh, and Ezekiel Elliott in
1: a belly shirt. We can't forget that.
0: That That's true. That's true. That was I was out there. I went to Northwestern. That was actually the year after I was done, but I went back. You're right. That was uh, the, the Red... They started rolling out the red carpet in Uh Chicago um, and made it a fun event. So, you know, I have that connection to Chicago that, um, you know, Northwestern connection, like I mentioned, I thought you were going to say Chicago was like Philly with maybe not as much winning, but I guess neither city has uh, exactly dominated the Super Bowl or NFL success. Uh, When you think about those people in Chicago, when you connect that NFL fandom, that Bears fandom, what do you expect out of the fans? Uh, coming into the Hall of Fantasy League,
1: I mean to be fair, Chicago did have the Jordan era, so <laughs> that's, true. That, that's true. That's true. Uh, that was obviously that did them pretty well right there. I think you know, if, if for Philly, if the Philly fans had anything like that, they'd still be riding that out right now. You know, I think Philly, you know, for a lot, you know, a large part of the the fan base is is pretty happy with the Phillies winning well over a decade ago. Uh, the Eagles are only a few years removed from that Super Bowl win, but uh, you know, the fan base is passionate. We know that. The fan base of the Bears is passionate. We know that. And it's an interesting time for the Chicago Bears, obviously, with the potential for a franchise quarterback taking over at some point here in Justin Fields. Uh, but, yeah, I expect a, a great response uh, to this format. It's a really cool format. You know, we really haven't seen anything like this in the history of fantasy football where there's a, a connection between people who are actually playing the game and then beyond that. You know, the old adage was, Don't tell me about your fantasy football team, because I don't care. Like Nobody cares who you drafted in the 10th round, and then they ended up being the sleeper of the year. Nobody cares. But here, we care. We actually have a vested interest in it. So I I love the format.
0: That's right. And so you're going to have stakeholders this year. You're going to have people that come to the Chicago Hog Mullies, and they trust your interest in this team, your decision-making, maybe with some input from the team. Uh, but you know, this will be, like you said, a different experience here in the hall of fantasy league. Now you come to us from fade the noise. I know I've seen a variety of different titles. I've seen chief operating officer. I've seen, you know, fade the noise, fade the noise data. There's a lot of layers to Jeff Ratcliffe. Where would you put yourself out right now in terms of what kind of fantasy expert you are, where your
1: expertise lies? Ah, that's a loaded question. So, I am of the mindset there is no such thing as a fantasy expert.
0: Ooh.
1: can we be an expert in this? I I don't know. I'm I'm somebody who pays entirely too much attention to football. So certainly uh, an analyst. I I don't mind that one. Uh, I know that there are some people out there like, oh, he's taking himself too serious. No, I think it's kind of the opposite, right? I know what we're doing. We're playing a game based on a game. We're playing Dungeons and Dragons for sports nerds. It's a beautiful game. We're lucky enough to play because of the NFL. But, you know, it it is what it is. It's meant to be fun. And that was really, for me, always the reason why I want to do this as it it was. I love football, first and foremost. And I found that fantasy was a way to talk about football originally with all my friends and now with a much wider audience. So over at FTN, uh, right now, I mean, for FTN, the website itself, I'm actually the chief analytics officer, which kind of means that I get to do all the fun stuff with numbers and and drive that product. We just released a whole tool suite uh, that we're calling our Fantasy HQ over there. We do have the FTN data product, as you mentioned, which if you're a data head, you're a data junkie and you want spreadsheets galore, we have you covered there. But we have a team of game charters who are charting all sorts of stuff that you don't see in the box score yards after contact from running backs we're looking at depth of throw from the quarterbacks we're looking at end zone targets we're looking at you know zone plays in the run game we're looking at 11 personnel 12 personnel all of that and so much more so you know if you really love football you're a football junkie that's that's the stuff you crave and that's the stuff that we're doing over at FTN
0: so you talk about starting as as you know someone who just loves football. And I want to get into introduce some people to your past a little bit. Were you the type of person that went right from, from college to fantasy analysis or what was your past life like?
1: No, not at all. Uh, and I do feel bad for the, the college kids who are like, Hey, I want to get into this industry. What do I do? And it's like, I, I I go to grad school, procrastinate, Try and get you know published for free and then work your butt off for five years, make no money, and then maybe you might make it. I, it's, it's terrible advice, right? It's not what you want to hear. I, I, went to, I went to undergrad at Millersville University in Pennsylvania for really two reasons. I ran track and field, and uh, there was a jumper in track and field, and I majored in cultural anthropology, and they both sort of synced up there. And then by the time I was done, I only ran track my freshman year. But by the time I was done, I did an honors thesis and my uh, panel, so we had three professors on the panel said, what are you doing next? And I was like, I don't know. And and one of them said, well, you know, you should go to grad school. All right. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I could see myself being a professor. All right, let's try that. So I applied to uh, a few grad schools and got into a few of them, but I chose to go to Temple to come back to Philly. And that's where things kind of started for me. I'm, I'm in grad school pursuing a PhD right out of undergrad. It's early 2000s. And um, the second semester I was in grad school, I got, a cl- I got offered to teach a class at Temple. Not TA, just right in teaching a class at 23 years old. I literally was like, just like a year or two older than some of the students in the class. I had no clue what I was doing. And just trying to stay a lesson ahead of everybody else, and it was pretty painful for the first few years of doing that. But fortunately, I kept getting offered classes, and then somewhere around the you know around 2005, I think it was, when I reached out to other schools in the area, and got a couple classes offered elsewhere. So then it went from teaching one or two classes a semester to teaching like five. Then I was teaching eight. Then I taught, there was one semester where I taught 13 classes at like five different schools across the entire area. And what I learned from that, you know, and that, by that point I was much more comfortable in front of the classroom, but I learned that if you have a subject that can be potentially unapproachable can be potentially esoteric for a lot of people. And certainly for almost every single student was something they weren't interested at all and they were just there to fill requirements in terms of the credits they needed to get their degree. You had to be compelling in front of the classroom. You had to tell a story, and really it was just my story of cultural anthropology that would connect with them in ways. And I realized there were some students I would never connect with in a million years but there were students who I certainly did connect with who maybe I wouldn't have if I just went up there and did boring PowerPoint slides. So I learned how to present information and, and talk. And then, you know, as I mentioned, the, the grad school wore on and on and on. I was, uh, you know, doing a, writing a Ph.D., researching and writing a Ph.D. that took me five years from start to end to, to do. I was in grad school for, not, for nine and a half years. And like a lot of grad students, I found ways to procrastinate. One of them was poker. I played a lot of poker during that Chris MoneyMaker era, where everybody was playing in the mid two thousands. I even wrote a little bit about it. I was doing, I was multi table in six max. You know, playing four to six tables of six max. So it's like decision, 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 and and just doing that for hours on end, just you know, racking up hands. And it was okay, but I wasn't great. You know, I, I made a little bit of money, but I didn't make much money. Unfortunately, the that bubble burst and like full tilt, that whole thing happened, and you know it's it's 2010 a couple of years later, and I still wasn't done. I finished in 2012 in grad school, but it was uh, I'll never forget. It. it was actually roughly 11 years ago, right now as we sit here in July. I, I was like, you know what? I've, I've loved fantasy football for over a decade now. Maybe I should start writing about this. And I looked to see if there was jobs like, ha ha, in that matter aha, ha, that's, that's a good joke. Fantasy football jobs. <laughs> but there was this one job posting. It was for a site called fantasy DC. So I reached out to the guy who ran the site, just wrote like a brief email and I'll never forget that. I have the email still saved because the guy ends up being Mike Clay. Who's my good friend now in the industry, best friend in the industry, and now he's at ESPN. And I called him Mr. Clay in the email, which is so hilarious. You know, I'm, I'm older than Mike and I didn't know it at the time. So I call him Mr. Clay. Uh, he re- responds to me and he says, you know, can I get a writing sample? I sent him a writing sample about Beanie Wells. Uh, and then I... Um, what did it say about
0: Beanie Wells? Was it pro or con?
1: I, I was definitely too pro. Way too pro <laughs> on Beanie Wells. Uh, but... He said, you know, um, I think you're a good fit, but I actually have a better opportunity coming if you can wait about a month. It was like wait till about early August. And that opportunity ended up being PFF. We launched the fantasy product of PFF. Now, I say we, it was really Mike. I was at the bottom of the totem pole. He had even told me years later, he's like, I didn't think you were going to make it, man. And <laughs> I wrote like a column of year. So that first year, I used to count the amount of articles, so I was like, now I wrote five, now I wrote six, now I wrote seven, and and I just did it. I, I think I probably stopped at about 50 when I finally was like, okay, well, now it looks like I'm going to be doing this for a while, but every spare second that I had was devoted to that, and it was like a, it was a pivotal point in my life, I think, because, you know, here I was early 30s, had seen some of my friends now kind of locked into their career. I was a grad student. Like, I thought I was going to be a professor, but it, I mean, I was just an adjunct, and I decided, you know, that this is, this is what I'm going to do for right now. I didn't think I would ever get paid. I remember somebody giving me this like kind of like pathetic look, like of sympathy when in 2011 I had said, you know, I don't know, maybe someday this will be a career. And it's like, Oh, that's cute. I I feel for you. Good luck with that kid. And, um, didn't make any money. Didn't make any money. We weren't, we were making, we were making nothing. Then in 2012, um, Greg Rosenthal left Roto World, and Mike got in at Roto World, and the first thing he did was recommend me, because I'd worked my way up to being his number two by that point. He recommended me to do IDP, so that was the one thing I did back in the day that I don't do now. Uh, I covered individual defensive players, because Mike's the star, right? He was the star, so I couldn't also be the star, So I wanted to stand out in an area. So I decided, all right, well, if I'm going to do this, I want to be the best in the world at IDP. (laughs) So I don't know if I ever reached that, but I did end up getting columns at Roto World to cover IDP. And then eventually Roto World also put me on their news blurbs. And then I was getting paid to write about fantasy football. It was amazing. And then 2015 happened. That was when Chris Collinsworth bought PFF. And they immediately offered me a full-time job. And so I took it, obviously. And then Mike left Uh, less than a year later and he went to espn and then i was in that spot and you know it's kind of crazy how that all worked out at the same exact time i got offered the cbs sports show uh sports network show and was able to do my own show on sirius xm but i know that a lot of people when they first saw me on tv or they first heard me on the radio they're like you're a natural and it's like This was five plus years of grinding, of missing events that like all my friends were going to, of uh, every spare second uh, uh, doing this, of watching myself back on crappy YouTube videos from 2011 and just cringing the entire way of like, can I ever actually get better at this? So it's a lengthy, as you can see, journey, and it was not my anticipated journey. But as I mentioned, though, standing in front of a classroom prepped me to talk. Having to be, having to write a book, basically, my dissertation's a book. All that that writing taught me to write, you know, how to present myself in front of people as well in the classroom on video. All of it led here. So sometimes you just don't know where the journey is going to lead you. But when the door opens, if you're ready, you can burst through it. And fortunately, I was ready
0: there is a whole lot to unpack there and i appreciate you sharing all that jeff because i think beyond just you know we want on this podcast to introduce um you know the the potential stakers to all of the teams and i think that you clearly you know we have people that went right into this business we have people who've been in this business for 25 years we have people that have come into this business in the last 5 years young kids right out of college and it's a different story but it's also listen People, the grind, it's right here. You know, this is a guy who's not going to give up if his team is 0-2 after the first two weeks. This is a guy who has gone through, like you said, we've all, anyone in this business, we've had those bad YouTube videos, whether they be 2011, 2005, 2015, pre-YouTube, post-YouTube, whatever it is. Uh, so you've been, a, an, you mentioned an adjunct professor, a bunch of different places, mostly in the Philly area. What do those students do they know about your fantasy football life now? Um some of them do, yeah. Some of them do.
1: Did they know at the time? Uh, one or two did. Uh not very many, but I did occasionally I'd have some students come up to me after class and ask me start sick questions in the fall, <laughs> and I'd just say, you know, I was like, that's you know, that's not here, like here I'm I'm in this job. Because I wanted, you know, I wanted to be professional in that job. I did take it seriously. Uh, The other thing, though, that I would get is, like, we literally, my wife and I, well, at the time, uh, so we were married in 2011, so there there was part of the time where we literally couldn't go anywhere without, hey, you were my professor, you know, and sometimes I'd recognize them, but other times I wouldn't, because, like I said, sometimes if it was 10 plus classes at the 25, 30 student classes, 300 students a semester, twice a year, plus summer classes, occasional winter session classes. Like, there are thousands of kids who took my class, and I wouldn't recognize them. But that doesn't really happen anymore. I do have a couple who follow me on on Twitter, uh, and uh, I'm sure that we have that. But there's also the other Jeff Ratcliffe that people might be aware of. So Jeff Ratcliffe was the number one pick in uh, whatever the at Major League Lacrosse, I guess is what it was called. In, I think, 2000, and uh, he, was Can- he's, he still is. He's Canadian, and he played for the Philadelphia Wings, and a lot of people thought that that was me. Now Google thinks that's me because it's his Wikipedia page, but my picture. So if you happen to Google me, I did not actually play professional lacrosse. I am not from Canada. My nickname is not the Rat. Uh, none of those are, are correct, but he spells it the exact same name. Apparently he knows that I exist as well. I've I've heard through the grapevine. Jeff, do not
0: draft Chris Hogan
1: this year. He is not <laughs> playing in the NFL. He's already traded too from his other his team. He's traded once in that lacrosse league. Great story though. 711, man, always open.
0: <laughs> so so don't now there's a couple things there. Your your wife first of all. I can't imagine what she was thinking during this career change. And two, did you notice a distinct people recognizing you as my professor to hey I saw you on CBS. I hear you on, on Sirius XM. Could I ask you a fantasy question?
1: So, my wife uh, didn't necessarily, she was, you know, nobody thought that this could be anything, including me. I didn't think I was ever actually going to get paid. And, you know, to say that it was always easy for her, I'd be lying. And I, I'm so happy that she sort of, you know, she stuck by and supported me through it. It's, uh, it, I know it couldn't have been easy sometimes because like you said the grind it, it it's not the grind because you do it for a couple hours a week it's the gr- it's the grind because you know there was one point where i I, don't, I didn't know excel like people i think some people think i'm like this hardcore data guy i'm hey I, I just said cultural anthropology i'm more qualitative than quantitative but i've learned the quantitative stuff over the years especially in the industry but i didn't know excel at all when i started in the industry and there was one point where uh PFF when we were in the early days we needed idp projections and so literally i learned excel to create a projection model which is not an easy task but i did it because i was afraid somebody would do it before me and so literally we would go to like a family party and i'd bring my computer with me and i'd be sitting in a chair off to the side trying to like code this projections model on my own so there were times like that where I know I was really annoying. But she, event, you know, she, she believed – there was a moment I think she realized, like, yeah, this could work. This could really work. And then once it, once we got to that tipping point, it was all in from there. And, you know, she's one of my biggest fans, if not the biggest fan. I hope my biggest fan. I don't know. Uh, and always so, so supportive with it. Now it's fun, too, because we have a four-year-old who, uh, you know, she – I don't know what life. It's so, it must be so weird because I didn't grow up with parents who were on TV, and then she sees me on Sunday, and it's just normal. Like, oh yeah, that's when you were up in New York on TV. But it, I mean, it's it's great. It's great with them. As for being recognized, it re- it doesn't really happen very often. It's happened maybe once or twice. Um, you know, it's you. Know, we're not. Um, I guess we're not uh, as widespread as fantasy analysts as you would be. For you know some of the the other commentators out out there, you know PFF for example, we were really small, and then Chris came in, and everybody knows Chris because of obviously his lengthy broadcast career, his NFL work. He is a le- you know college football at Florida. Like he was a such Chris was such a stud wide receiver, by the way, and a lot of people I think that kind of flies under the radar on him. He was really good, but uh, he came in and his profile was so high that it just elevated everybody at the company. It was great.
0: Now let's talk about this team, this league, okay? Because this might elevate your profile, by the way. If you win the Hall of Fantasy League, if you beat these other guys, who knows what's going to become of the Jeff Ratcliffe story. (laughs) This league, you know, we have so many, like I mentioned, so many different general managers managing the team. Some people, hey, I want to hear what my stakeholders have to say, and I want to make a decision based on what they're thinking. Some, listen, let let me carry this, all right? You guys stake the team. Trust me with your money. Let me do it. Where does where do you lie in how you're about to manage the Chicago Hog Mollies?
1: Well, the quote uh, Bill Parcells, if I am going to cook the the meal, I want to shop for the groceries as well. I think I'm probably more of that mindset. I'm open to feedback with any anything I do, but generally speaking, I I mean I I've, I've been in I can't even tell you how many leagues. For The last 22 years, I guess it is. Uh, The is. I'll probably discount the first maybe five to seven years of those where I really didn't know what I was doing. And that was back in my Eagles fandom days. So I was really just trying to draft Eagles and that's uh, about it. But it really did change. No, maybe it was like 03, 04. Too many Carell Buckhalter picks? or uh, I guess so. Or Deuce Staley, guys like James that. Thrash. Oh, St- that was when they had James Thrash and Todd Pinkston, and it was so it was Stinkston and Trash, as the, the Philly fans called them. Um, yeah, that, that, was a, that was an era, that's for sure. But, um, yeah, probably in that, that era, things really kind of started to click. But I know how I approach things. I have a method to my madness. I have a philosophy in place. And the thing is, in an industry league as well, it's not like your home leagues. You can't get away with some of the stuff you can get, it, get away with in a home league. Everybody in this league is solid. Everybody in this league knows what they're doing. So now we have to take a slightly different approach in this league, which is an approach that I, I know. I, I, you know, again, it's not. It's you can't just go and say I'm going to dominate all these guys because I know everybody's good. It's going to take a little bit of luck on our sides, a couple positive breaks, but I know the right things to at least put the pieces in place to be successful in this league.
0: We imagine there'll be a lot of um, individuals from the Fade the Noise network, which is not. Not you know is a newer brand that you guys have created. You know what sort of fans might you bring from your own sort of following, whether it be from FTN or whether it be from SiriusXM XM Radio.
1: The group somewhere along the way who listened to the podcast because I also have a podcast called The Rant with Jeff Radcliffe, uh, and somewhere along the way they just they came up with their own nickname and they called themselves the Rat Pack. So you know, shout out Rat Pack if you're listening to this right now. Uh, and that's a diehard bunch right there. You know, you're talking about guys who, and I love this. This is, this is the whole reason why I get to do what I do because of that group. They'll listen to every single word, every single show, all the time, constant listeners, always trying to get better at this and always trying to dominate their league. So I'm pretty sure the, the Rat Pack will come along for the ride for this one. And, yeah, definitely the FTN Nation. Like you said, we're new. Uh, We just turned one year old on July 7th, which is hard to believe. Also, even more difficult to believe is we launched a sports company in the middle of a pandemic when no sports were going on while we were building the site. (laughs) Literally no sports in April and May last year. Well, May is when it came back. Uh, And then June. Oof! But it's been great and that group is growing and growing and growing and it's a diverse group it's not just the season long crowd we got some diehard dfs folks in the ftn nation we have some just straight up betters as well because we cover all three areas over there at ftn so yeah those folks will come along for the ride i'm sure as well
0: when you think about this league you know all of the uh the fantasy world that you were a part of back when you're being a professor and fantasy starting to grow. And like you said, no one thought of it as something that, you know, you could make money as an analyst on, but it continues to grow. And this league will add a a different element to things. It will add staking. We will have the best experts going head to head. How does it change the fantasy world?
1: Well, that's a great question. You know, the one beauty to fantasy sports is evolution uh, and, that evolution has, has played out in a fairly dramatic way over the last decade. You know, in 2011, there was a, I, I went to, you know, a little like fantasy convention in Atlantic City. Uh, and somebody had asked me, another industry guy was like, hey, do you play the, he said he called it the dailies. That's what, that's what it was called back then by him. And I was like, I don't even know what the heck that is. And he said, oh, it's cool. You know, you go in. Like you put a, lenses, right? The dailies? Yeah. That,
0: uh... put a,
1: yeah we, we put a, you put a lineup in and, you know, he's like, you play 50-50 and you can win your money, double your money up or you lose your money. You know, basically a real b- brief way of describing it. Lo and behold, only what, four years later, by 2015, you could not escape DFS. Like, literally, if, if DraftKings and FanDuel could have uh, advertised in their dreams, I think they would have. It was everywhere, everywhere. And, of course, we know kind of a little bit of a bumpy ride from there. But then opening up sports betting for a lot of fantasy players, player props make a lot of sense. And then there now have been DFS games that have been based on that concept of over-under for player prop lines. It's constantly evolving. Best ball. I've been doing best ball leagues for a decade at least. But best ball has really taken off in recent years. So we're continuing to push the envelope, and that's where something like this comes into play. There are a lot of folks out there who, you know, they work full-time jobs, they have families, they don't have a lot of time to dive headlong into the research and do all the stuff to manage multiple teams. And this gives them an opportunity to get a piece of a team from somebody who does have that ability, right? Now they have a vested interest in this space where before this, they didn't, they couldn't. You know, and, and maybe if if they invest wisely, uh, they you know they, then it works out for them in the long run as well. Because that's what I mean at the core of all of this. Yes, we could say we all play for the love of the game, but let's be honest. There's a financial component to it as well, and and that and that's a good thing though. It doesn't have to be a major million dollar component. I always say with like live in game betting, people are like, oh, I don't know about that. They just do a dollar here and there. Just makes things just a tad more interesting have a fantasy league. doesn't have to be for a gazillion dollars makes things more interesting do a couple best balls makes things more interesting well here's another way to make things more interesting for you
0: for bragging rights purposes yes. you know how do you feel going head to head against these individuals I'm sure some of them that you know and you know your work goes up head to head to them in the industry how do you feel about that is there anyone you really want to beat
1: I'm a weird one when it comes to that sort of thing so as I mentioned I was, I was a track and field guy um you know when I when I look back at my a- athletic career, I-, I didn't really care about winning. I cared about beating what I did last, right? And that's kind of how I modeled my career. I want to be better today than I was yesterday. And-, and so I love winning leagues, no doubt about it. But I don't necessarily want to do so because I want to beat anybody in particular, because, I, I mean, hey, I, I, the lineup in this league, like, it's so, some of these guys have been friends of mine in the industry for almost a decade. Like, I, I don't know. I don't think about it that way. But then at the same time, to have the, the title, well, that's just, you know, that's, that's like, uh, again, I, I was better than I was last year if I won the league. So I look at it that way. I'm not one to, like, talk trash or anything like that. You know, it's, it's the old, like, look at the scoreboard. That's kind of a, that's the all-time best rebuttal to any trash-talking you don't really even have to say much if you're winning. It, the trash talking is done itself. It's done the job itself. So, no, nobody in particular, I know, it's it's kind of weird. Even on the golf course, I don't care about beating anybody else. I just want to shoot better than I shot the last round. So that's kind of the way I view it.
0: The question that we have to end on is why stake the Chicago Hogmollies?
1: Because uh, you're going to get a stake of a team from somebody who knows exactly what they're doing. In this format as well, it's a fun format. You know, we got slight a couple of wrinkles from your traditional standard format. So I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna be aggressive. I just mentioned like the golf analogy. Well, I'm gonna grip it and rip it in the draft. I draft for the highest possible ceiling. I don't draft safe because safe is gonna safely finish you in third or fourth place in this league. So I'm gonna be aggressive, shooting for high ceiling players. And then in the week, though, I'm not going to do anything crazy. Once we get into the season, if you're aggressive, well, you can certainly shoot yourself in the foot. We're going to play it close to the vest. We're going to make the smartest possible decisions throughout the course of the season, attack the waiver wire when necessary, and really go after this league. So I think if you want a piece of something like that, that you're going to follow a very exciting team who is, is going to try and make the highest possible percentage plays every single week. And you want a piece of this squad. The Chicago Hog will grip it
0: and rip it. Bryson D. Jeff Ratcliffe, I guess we got <laughs> over here. Jeff, good luck with the season and appreciate the time. Thanks, Jeff. The professor, Jeff Ratcliffe. He's the GM of the Chicago Hog who you can stake at HOFL.com. You can do that today, tomorrow, whenever you want. If you like what you, what you hear here, On the HOFL podcast, you can subscribe or you can leave us a rating, a review, whatever it may be. You can follow us on social at the HOF League. This is Jeff Eisenman. We have a few more GM podcasts to go and then the draft coming up soon here at the Hall of Fantasy League.